Who are the best NBA offensive engines under the age of 26? Plus, should stars have to honor their contracts? And is Team USA in trouble? And if so, how much trouble? All that and more on Locked On NBA. You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your source for all things NBA from the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks for joining us and making us part of your week. Appreciate you guys being along for the ride across our variety of shows. You can catch out so many great hosts of all of our different shows here on Locked On NBA throughout the week. Make sure to like, review, subscribe. If you're following us on YouTube or you can catch a live version of the show and record this one on Mondays for Tuesday, uh, make sure you hit that like button and hit subscribe, turn on notifications, and you'll be able to catch the show live as well as catch new episodes whenever they're uploaded. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, make sure to give us those five-star reviews. Helps us out so much. We appreciate you guys making us part of your day. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Official sports book of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today. My name is Matt Moore. I'm a senior NBA writer for the Action Network and co-host of Locked On Nuggets. Joined by my co-host David Ramil. He is co-host of Locked On Heat. Follow him on Twitter at DRamil13. I will continue to call it Twitter until the end of time. No, you cannot make me change it. David, how is your weekend? How are you enjoying the offseason? It's great. Looking forward to talking about real basketball content because there's so much going on around the NBA. We never run out of things to talk about here on Locked On NBA. And that's why we have complete, created this completely contrived mechanism to argue about a number of players. We'll talk about that. Plus, we're going to ask a question because David and I have kind of danced around it in different discussions. And I think it's worth having uh, a frank, open discussion of the question of we have so many stars asking out these days should superstars honor their contracts we're going to tackle that question in the second segment later on we'll talk about team usa not a star-studded roster they're not heavy favorites to win FIBA world cup but there's been some shakeups across the landscape in terms of the other uh teams and what's going on there so we'll keep an eye on that and we'll talk a little bit about how much trouble if any Team USA is in in their hopes of a gold medal. But we start today with a conversation. We've been doing this series for the last couple of weeks, and I think it's uh, been pretty interesting to kind of examine. And, and that is we've taken a number of players and just trying to try to basically sub rank these guys. So instead of just yep. like placing them in an overall, now I'm in the process of doing a, a, a top 100 for Action Network. So I'm in the, the very fun process of trying to discern between players uh you know is he the 68th or 69th best player in the nba um mm. and you know what david you can shake your head all you want but the content sells people like that oh, oh i know people love it it's just i, I can't find a more difficult job ranking it because there's so yeah. much changes and nuances etc but we'll do uh, it's it's so much easier to do like a smaller subgroup like this like when you're talking about engines and i wanted to ask you this what do you mean by the specific engines of a team are you specifically talking about on the offensive end does that discount everything they do defensively what is the 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 engine categorization in your view so i think for me when i talk about an engine it's if you are the primary initiator of the offense in that you bring you don't have to bring the ball up but if not then the ball instantly goes to you okay. um and if you are if the entire offense is built around your specific talents and built to accentuate those and if you are most often using those talents and skills to leverage the defense, whether it's the score or create a shot for somebody else, 
are you that? What's interesting is that, you know, Nikola Jokic is the primary engine of the Denver Nuggets. Usually these are guards. Usually these are ball dominant guards. Nikola Jokic is, uh, the, is the, is that for the Nuggets at center. What I think is interesting is like Steph Curry is maybe one of the greatest engines in the NBA, except that he's off ball. And so like everything is built to both open up opportunities for him off ball and accentuate the kind of attention that his off ball gravity draws. I think you can kind of, in my opinion, kind of argue that Draymond and Steph were together, that that hmm. you needed both of them in order to really drive the engine of it. Because like, if you don't a have hybrid engine. Yeah. If you don't have like the kit, that's a really good comparison. It's a hybrid engine. If you don't have a capable passer or somebody that can see the floor, then all of Steph's movement off ball isn't as valuable. And and we've seen that be like the the peak of what he's capable of. So we've chosen a number of players that are younger. Um, I tried to find guys that are within the range of like what we still consider young. And the six that I've kind of targeted are Luka Doncic, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Devin Booker, Donovan Mitchell, Trey Young, who I was just like, I'm going to include Trey here. He deserves to be included here and Ja Morant. And so we're going to kind of compare those and and rank how we kind of see them in terms of who's most valuable. If you're putting the ball in this person's hand and saying this person is going to be a high usage, every possession creator for you. And he's going to be your primary scorer as well as a primary initiator and creator for others. uh, I would just ask you like right off the bat, like, What's the thing that you value most in this exercise? Oh, that, that, that is a really difficult question to answer. I, I guess it's just, and I don't, I don't know. I really, I don't have a clear answer because I'm, I'm just thinking about this. Like all of them have the ball in their hands so often. They're all trying to create looks and opportunities for either themselves or others. Efficiency is a part of it, but it can't be the only part of it. Cause I mean, you've got a guy like Trey, he's a great passer, et cetera, turns the ball over Luca, same way. And at the same time, like you can't fault them for you know putting the ball in other players' hands and not being able to capitalize on those opportunities they've generated. They've done their job as the engine of their respective teams. And at the same time, it's just it's hard to to focus on one area. I guess it's just for me. I guess the the sheer ease with they with which they would score. I think I think that's the the biggest factor for me is like which of these is the best score purely, and then secondary to that playmakers for others as well and i think when you're looking at to me when you're looking at the names that we've listed here the top engine i think is luca i think he is the best of the best of, of that category and and that's not to discount what everybody else does do like that's a really you chose some really really good players there all of which to have their own respective weaknesses and strengths but uh, as far as specific engine that's why i asked the defensive question about how much whether or not that was a factor to me it's luca above the rest yeah, I should note that uh, Luca is also, uh, along with Jaw, the youngest of this group at 23 <laughs> years old last season. Uh, Book oh, yeah. and Donovan Mitchell will be 27 next season, so they're entering their prime next season. I think uh, throughout it, <sighs> you know, Luca leads the all these guys in terms of the overall advanced metrics. They all love him. What's interesting, I think, is and he's the the top scorer last season amongst all of them, averaging 32.4 points per game, which is absolutely ridiculous, along with eight assists per game. So his raw production, I think, is greater than everybody else. So he averages the most uh, the the most points. Um, Trey averages the most assists, but the combined kind of contributions from Luca are what what makes it up. It's kind of interesting in that usage drags down efficiency. 
right? So the more that you, the, the higher, the more possessions that you have, the more likely you're going to have the shots and the more likely you're going to have turnovers. And both those things kind of get dragged down. Luca's efficiency is not through the roof. It's not like it's, he is not a crazy good shooter. Um, in fact, I actually think that, that he kind of struggled in that, in that regard. It's funny. I was doing uh, for this top 100 thing. I just sat down and I watched all of the points that he created last year, assists a thousand and, and points scored. All of his made buckets feel like automatic. Like it just feel, and they feel huge. It just feels like, Oh my God, like he's killing you. And then in reality, it's like, yeah, he's a 34% three point shooter. Right. Not great. Okay. But like, it feels so much greater when you kind of watch him. I do think that just the amount of usage that he takes on, and I think that he should take less. I think it would make the offense more efficient. Um, I do think that that kind of makes him the best engine because you can theoretically, if you were to put him into a different system where he didn't have to do as much, and maybe that's the season with the addition of, of Kyrie Irving for a full season and some of the changes mm. that they've made, you know, maybe that gets him to a point where he doesn't have to. I think if you did that, he's probably still the most effective and most efficient player I will say that I think that there is a top tier here, which is I think it's Luca, and I honestly think it's Shea Gilgis Alexander. I think that's I the top tier here, and I have Shea number two. What do you think? Oh no, I, I do too. Uh, is incredible. My, my my only look, you know, Oklahoma City so tough to peg because there's they're kind of waffling in between what stages of their team development is, and it doesn't take anything away from his, his individual brilliance. But at the same time, I wonder if. You know, if they were a more star-studded team or if they had just one more star on their team, like an experienced veteran, would that change the dynamic? And we've seen this with other teams in the past. Like, you know, this is a very young core where he can afford to do everything that he does, and everybody kind of defers to him as the more experienced and the best player on that team. But I wonder how much that would change if it was just if it was just different roster construction. At the same time, you can't really hold that against him. Individually, he's an incredible scorer. Defensively, he's the best of the bunch, too. Great playmaker. He does everything so well. He's just such a really good player and so largely unheralded. I think even now people really discount what it is that he does because of Oklahoma City kind of being in this uh this weird, you know, nebulous area in terms of their own team development and everything else like that. But he is just a great player. I do have him also number two on this list of players. And it's again, maybe just by slight degrees, but uh, he certainly I think he deserves that kind of recognition. A lot of this is uh, Shea was so good at attacking the rim. It made up for yeah. uh, like a lot of his other deficiencies, so but you know, he shot 51% from the field and he shot 53% on twos. Lucas shot 59% on two pointers. Like he's just a tank. He's just an absolute tank. And, and honestly, their three point shooting is comparable at 34% versus 35%. If you round up for Shea, it's, it's a 0.3 differential here. So it's very low in terms of, of the differential between those two guys. Um, I do think that if you put Shea in a system where he was surrounded by shooters, if you ran five out, he'd probably be, I, I think that you would see even better numbers. Look, I've, I bet Shea Gillis Alexander win MVP next season. That's how good I think he can be. Whoa. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think I, that's how good I think he can be next season. And that's so imp that's impossible, though. Like, like what, what would it take? I mean, this is a different conversation, but what would it take for him to win MVP? Like, they'd have to win a certain minimum number of games, wouldn't it, for just that kind of consideration? You're not seeing it as much anymore. And you got to factor in the 65 games win mark or play mark too, right? So the Thunder make an unexpected huge leap next season. And let's say that they That's finished ahead of, let's say that they finished ahead of Dallas. If they finished with like 49, 49 to 51 wins, they made that kind of a leap next season, which would be huge, but they are adding a bunch of talent like Chet Holmgren, Jalen, like there's so much internal improvement there. 
-hmm. if they were to make that kind of a leap, Shea's numbers were there last year. Like that's how good he was last year. And he got, he wound up getting a, on the MVP ballot. That's how good he was. So it's mostly, it's a matter of like, if the thunder improved to where they are playoff competitive, then there's a, at least a chance on a long shot that Shea goes Alexander could be in that discussion. Fair enough. We'll see how it as we kind of wrap up here, I think if, if we go through the, the last three names, the last three guys, which I think are, are, are four guys that I think are, are kind of tougher. I have, I have, I think Booker, I'm going to put Booker third in his own tier. I want to put Donovan Mitchell there. I think Donovan Mitchell is a little bit underrated at this point. If we kind of look yes. at all the, the different factors, like Donovan shot the best of all these guys from three at 39%. Um, he had the best effective field goal percentage at 57%, which was considerably better than some of these other guys. Uh, but he, because he plays next to Garland, he only averaged 4.4 assists. Um, and, you know, he, he averaged 28 per game, which is still a ton but it's not nearly the 32 mark of Luca or 31 of Shea. It is more than the other guys. I think Donovan Mitchell is great. I think what Booker's done in the playoffs puts him at a higher level. I love Booker's ability. Like I think Booker is an incredible passer. I think he's going to be even better this year after the experience of getting blitzed by the Nuggets. I would have Booker third and then Donovan Mitchell fourth. That sounds fair. Um, does that mean Trey Young or Ja Morant is last? Because I know I have Ja last on my list. Where is he Ooh, on yours? I have Trey last. Okay. Um, Trey's passing it needs to be respected. He is like the offense, the the assists that he creates are not easy, and he is a really gifted passer, and he's a better passer than Jaw. Though Jaw is pretty underrated. Jaw does have an ability to dominate a game in a way that Trey doesn't. Um, when Trey's putting up these huge point totals, it never feels like you're just like unless you're like I will say that playoff run. It felt like it when he was just owning the the Knicks and the Sixers. But outside of that, since then, we haven't really felt like Trey Young was dominating a game. There are stretches where you're just like Jaws making one incredible play after another. And the things that John needs to improve in order to get to that next level are very doable. He just needs to get more comfortable with his pull-up jumper. He can make it. He's just not comfortable taking it. He get, tries to get to his floater too much. As he starts to see the floor better as he gets older, I think that he'll absolutely be there. But with the way that his athleticism translates, even with all the off-court stuff, I'll take John Moran over Trey Young. Okay. I, I just, I, to me, like, there needs to be more consistency, and I think we all get so obsessed about the, the, the incredible plays, the individual plays, yeah. and I want to see more sustained yep. goodness even, not just greatness. It's just sustained yeah. goodness from him. Yeah, he is. He's a spectacular player, but he's got to work on all that other stuff. And that's pretty typical for guys of his age. Somebody did mention in the comments about Halliburton being snubbed. I think Hallie's too young to be in this conversation. I will tell you that, like, I will. There. I, I am extremely high on Tyrese Halliburton. Like, I am unbelievably high on Tyrese Halliburton and where he sets. Like, he is way higher on my top, my my elite 100 than I think he's going to be on most people's 100 list. So he'll be in that conversation as Is well. there anybody else that you've kind of put in this list that maybe didn't make it, aside from Halliburton? Darren Fox, perhaps? Is there somebody yeah, else along I think, I think De'Aaron probably deserves a little bit of consideration here and didn't and didn't quite make it. Uh, Jalen Brunson, I think, is another one. But Jalen doesn't have necessarily the usage that you would expect for a guy like this. That's one of the reasons I didn't include him. Um, but it's possible that he could maybe get there. Uh, outside of that, I don't know. I don't know how many other like really dominant engine young guys there are in the league. Uh, other than that, you start getting into some of the older guys. So um, I think Hallie and and De'Aaron are, are definitely two guys that deserve to be be mentioned as honorable mention. So right. on the other side, David and I have danced around this topic. It's time for us to have a conversation. Should superstars honor their contracts? We'll have that showdown on the other side. First, I need to tell you about FanDuel Sportsbook. 
Football season's about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. I did this with the Chiefs last year. That was my bet. They had this bet last year, and I put it in on the Chiefs. And what do you know? Not only did I win on the Super Bowl, but I also won on every win that they cashed on their way to the over as well. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every victory. And you can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sportsbook. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. We'll be right back on Locked On NBA. Here on Locked On NBA, thanks for joining us and making us part of your day. I appreciate Ted showing up and being like Trey Young. Yeah, well, look, Trey led the had had the most assists of any of those guys. He's like second on the assist list. He is a, a he had a down year scoring. I'm willing to give a little bit of leeway there. I understand the feeling on Trey Young. Trey Young's still very good. I try and like it's it's easy. I think to, to pick apart Trey's game. I've done it. Sure, but I'll also say this: I prefer Trey Young's game to to, to Lamelo Balls. So just go ahead. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, Davis, you don't have to answer around this topic because we've, we've, we've done this show long enough that we've had these conversations about different stars asking out and whatever. And I think that these issues are polarizing and most sports fans, I think, have very extreme feelings. It's either I'm sick of these stars asking out. They're paid tens of millions of dollars. You know, these teams like they're beloved by their fan bases and they're just chasing rings or whatever. And the other side of it is a very modern online media kind of perspective of it's a, a mix of things, but it's very player empowerment, pro player empowerment, very much centered around. And some of it gets into like labor disputes and the idea that this is a labor argument. I have some pretty detailed, like you got to get nuance on some of that. Um, but that's that's the, the the large part of it is it's like it's billionaires versus labor, right? Um, so I'll just kind of let's go ahead and just start here. What is your general feeling on the trend of superstar players with multiple years left on their contracts? And I don't think we need to attach this to Dame or Joel or any of these guys. I think we can just talk about it in the abstract. What is your feeling on superstars? Asking out despite being having signed and agreed to long-term contracts. My my feeling is that as fans and as media, uh, I think that the the way we view these players evolves, and I think it changes, and the criteria, the lens through which we view them, also changes over time. And as such, people change, and and we expect them to be different or to meet that criteria that ever changing the goalposts are always moving for how we view these players. We talked about just, just a second ago, Trey young two years ago, three years ago, it would have been unquestionably one of the great young stars of our league an all-star guiding his team to playoffs, went to, you know, the deep in the Eastern conference, et cetera. Now he's kind of washed up. And then you know, somehow, despite the fact that he's only 24 years old, like he's overrated to a certain degree. So that, that kind of perspective is uh, I think an important one for me. I look at each case as an individual one, and I understand why these players are 
held to these different standards, these ever evolving standards, and as such, why the the fixed nature of a contract shouldn't necessarily be applicable. Like we cannot have Dame under contract for four years, and and I'll use him as an example because it has been a topic that we've talked about. We cannot hold him under a contract for four years under which we signed them to this contract and he signed his contract to get paid a whole heck of a lot of money for sure. But also with the expectation that we would build a great team around him, that we would continue to compete, that we would do whatever is necessary to make changes, to be great. And the Portland trailblazers have done the opposite of that. They've traded away key players. They've, erase what could have been a potential playoff run by trading away this player or that player. Maybe all just role players within a vacuum, but at the same time, contributors to winning. And they've clearly leaned into a rebuilding nature. And as such, now Dame is under that kind of expectation. Well, in order to be viewed as an all-time great, and he already is, as one of the 75 best players in NBA history, he's already viewed as all-time great. But something's missing, right? He has to be viewed as a championship winner. And, and I think now that that has kind of been put on him as something that he needs to check off on a resume that constantly evolves, you know, a checklist that now always kind of, kind of, you know, changes from month to month, year to year. Now all of a sudden the expectation is for him. You have to go somewhere else in order to win a title because clearly Portland isn't going to. So I have no problem with individual players asking out of a specific team while they're under contract for a number of years. Having said all that, I think that the idea of players still having to follow their contracts is still one that obviously makes a whole heck of a lot of sense just because of the nature of fandom and you want to be able to root for these specific players for a number of years. You can't just have them moving around on an annual basis. It just it would crush the sport, obviously. You want to be able to attach yourself to these players as a, as a fan, as a fanatic. You want to be able to establish an emotional connection that takes time to evolve and build like Dame, like Dame has built in Portland. So I find it interesting when we're talking about this, and I know I've gone long on this, like that Portland fans, probably the most hardcore of Blazer fans, are all, not all, are mostly very supportive of his trade requests because they recognize the fact that Portland isn't going to build a winner anytime soon. And as such, what they want most of all for the player that they have loved more than any other player in franchise history, that they have grown to love over the past 11 seasons, is for him to be able to be in a team that can win a championship uh, as soon as possible, you know? And so I, I find that to be very interesting when we're talking about why fans tw of 28 other teams outside of Miami, of course, are clamoring for, oh, you got to adhere to contracts. You got to stick to it. You got to, you can't just ask for a trade like this. It's like, well, Miami fans certainly want Dame to come to Miami and Portland fans by and large seem to think, well, you know what? I want, I want Dame to go where he's going to be happy. If that's Miami, let's so be it. I would disagree with that. My assessment is that they wanted him to go anywhere else because they're like, we got to get something back. And we've been over that. I think. So there's a couple of things in there. I, I would refute. I think it's, it's tough. I've heard this argument, which is, well, the Blazers are rebuilding. Okay. If they were rebuilding, if you're trying to rebuild, you want to, you want to emphasize your draft stock. You're willing to lose. You're actually hoping to lose. So you get better draft positioning in the lottery. If that was your goal, you would trade Damian Lillard anyway. Like you would just dump him. You'd just be like, it's over. Yeah. Right. And they didn't do that. They didn't want to trade him. That's because like they're into, and they definitely wouldn't have given Jeremy Grant the money that they did. Damn. Like if that was the position that they were moving towards the Blazers would love nothing more than for Dame to be like, you know what? This is getting to be too much of a hassle. I changed my mind. I'm staying. And they'd be like, great. Awesome. We'll repair this. We'll go forward. Their failures to build a, a contender around Dame are different than intention to rebuild. 
Now that doesn't mean that Dame's not qual- like it's okay. I think you're absolutely right for a guy to be like, look, I want to win a championship. When I signed the contract, you had indicated to me that you were doing everything possible to move towards that. That has not happened because of your failures, not because of your intent. Right. But like, it just hasn't happened. You don't have to say your failures. It hasn't happened. So it's not going to happen here. We're too far away. I want out. I think that that's reasonable as long as you are willing to work with them in terms of like, again, I would say giving multiple options, but like, I think it's reasonable. I think one of the things that gets tough here is there's a difference in like Dame where there's a, there's a feeling of what's owed to the player. Mm-hmm. What, what oftentimes I get frustrated with is these things are, are under player control. And that's what I think is, is frustrating for a lot of people. If you're just like, well, look, I'm going to give you, like, I want you to contend. And LeBron did this, right? Where he was like, I'm signing one and ones so that you are always under pressure. You will always be under pressure to compete. And he did that in Cleveland where it's harder to get free agents and then sign longer term contracts with the Lakers because he knew he didn't have to, right? He knows he can get free agents there. So you, you have the ability when you're negotiating a contract, if you want that flexibility, you can take it if you, you, but there has to, this is my whole thing is like, you don't get to have it all. You have, you have to be able to be like, I'm willing to sacrifice more financial security long-term for more freedom and picking a team where I know I can compete for a championship. Or you can say, I want as much money and financial freedom as possible. I want generational wealth for my kids and my kids' kids and my kids' kids' kids and my kids' 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 kids. I want that. And therefore, if that means that I'm on some bad teams, okay. But it's when we get into this conversation of trying to have it all and there's no give and take that I wind up being frustrated. And the response to that typically is the teams can trade them whenever they want. Like the teams can trade them. My response there is the players are aware of that when they sign the contract. Like that's built in. They understand that the terms of their contract are, they can be dealt. If that is such an issue for them, then the players union should negotiate no trade clauses to be more prevalent prevalent and readily available as an option in these deals. The NHL has lists of teams that you can't be traded to. And most of it's built off of tax purposes. Like those things are, are, are available in sports. You have a powerful union negotiate that. Like it's either your responsibility to negotiate the deal that is going to best fit your priorities, both short and long-term, but you have to decide those or it's your responsibility as a member of a union to push for the navigation of those issues to prevent this other side that, that people want to bring up. You've agreed to the CBA. You've agreed to the system. You've agreed to the contract. And somewhere in there, I think there, there is an obligation to honor that. Otherwise we're just like, are we just doing handshake deals? What are we doing here? Like, I just don't understand that mechanism. It's not, and like, I'm very much in, I guess, and where all this comes down to is I'm very much in favor of screwing over the owners. I'm not in favor of screwing over your teammates, team staff, the front office, and the coaches. It's the collateral damage in these situations that I wind up having a lot of sympathy for. That I can understand completely. Um, and, and look, I, I, you know, you bring up a good point and you wonder why more players haven't had the, the forethought to be able to uh, 
negotiate these kinds of things because they can be included or, or to have like the kind of structure and play like a LeBron James, like, like, let's, let me, let's stick to Dave. Like, why do you think he chose the, 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 the max money, the generational money of many, many years over the flexibility to say, well, I want to kind of see whether or not I, Portland can build this contender over the next couple of seasons. I think at the time he really believed that he wanted to stay. I think at the time he really believed that they were heading, that they would get in the right direction for a number of reasons. Like they should have been better last year than they were. And that is a front office failure. I have really tried to resist this when uh, there's been this painting that like, well, the Blazers, you know, everyone asks that the Blazers have done nothing wrong. Like, no, no one said like, I don't know anybody that said that. Like the Blazers screwed this up from the very beginning. I can, I can look like 15 different things starting with trading for Jeremy Grant, continuing through not trading use of Nurkic like three seasons ago. There's any number of problems with how they built this team. But I think that, you know, Dane really watched like Dane was parroting the the loyalty thing about how he didn't care. And like, he was comfortable. He was saying all that and he gets to change his mind. Like I'm with you on that. I think it's a fair point. He gets to change his mind. I think it's difficult when we say, if you change your mind, then everything's out that, well, okay. You probably should have considered changing your mind when you sign the long-term deal. Right. Yeah. No. I. I. I, I see all that, and, and like I just. I can't help. I, I just. I, I. don't seem to care. I don't know. Maybe you're right. I. I. I maybe it's just a, a myopic view, but I. When it comes to a player, because I tend to gravitate towards much to the more humane idea of like, well, a player just wants to play somewhere else, regardless of why or that the criteria has changed. My feeling is just like, you know what? It's it's fine. Like I, I'm totally entitled to it. I, I I feel like or they should be totally entitled to it. Maybe, maybe it is too myopic because as you just said, there is damage to other people, like the stadium and and, and medium members. Like, you know, there, there are so many people will will suffer as a result of Dame's departure that it can't just be that easy. But you know, I, I don't I don't know. There is no right answer. Like, should 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 we sacrifice Dame's happiness in order for more concession workers to be able to keep those part-time opportunities at the Rose Garden? Maybe. I, I, it, it's that that is getting into the real thick and weeds of just yeah, socioeconomics like, in general. Yeah, right? but I, I guess I guess I just wind up being like one. You know, I, I've said this like money doesn't make you happy. The absence of money makes you unhappy. That's a very big. That's the thing I've been preaching to my kids. Um, But I wind up just in the thought of like, again, Dame chose a situation in which he became unhappy. And in a couple of years, he gets to choose a situation where he can be happier, but he'll probably make less money. There are consequences to our decisions. And I have a hard time being like, that shouldn't imply. Uh, I think that there's fair points on both sides. And I, I, I appreciate having the discussion because I think it's, I just think it's an interesting conversation to have in the abstract when too often we get into the details of, player said x or did y or team so i appreciate it on the other side uh, is team usa in trouble because the roster doesn't seem to be impressing many folks we'll talk about team usa's chances as well as some problems for the other teams in the world cup we'll do that on the other side on locked on nba
Back here on Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us and making this party. I appreciate you guys being with us on a Tuesday. Make sure to check out John Corrales and Jake Madison tomorrow on Wednesday. On Thursday, you got Nick Angstat and Pat the Designer. And on Fridays, you got David's co-host Wes Goldberg along with my co-host Adam Mares on Friday's edition. Uh, all right. So wrapping up here on a Tuesday, Team USA. I think the, the, no one really knows like what's going on. The, the select... Uh, team versus Team USA. Those practices have been going on. Kate Cunningham has absolutely been dominant. He declined an invitation to join the actual team, choosing to focus on uh, the upcoming 23-24 season after he missed most of the year. But he has been apparently one of the best players on the floor in every single game. You know, this is this roster, Jalen Brunson, Anthony Edwards, who's been moved into the starting position. It's got Austin Reeves, who's filling up the highlight reel, I'm sure, with charges and other those those type of plays. Uh, Josh Hart um, and those types of things uh, and those types of players are on the, the roster as well. Um, it's an interesting kind of situation. They are not heavy favorites at the sports book for the first time that I can remember in a long time. When the best players are Anthony Edwards and Jalen Brunson, it's not really all that surprising. Maybe Jaron Jackson Jr., you include in that group too. Uh, what I do think is kind of interesting, David, and we talk about it in a little bit, is I do think that there's some problems with all of the other would-be contenders, and that might open the, the possibility of Team USA may not be dominant in this run, but they might right. still have enough to win gold anyway. No, I, I, considering injury concerns across the board, and I mean, the fact that some of the key teams are, are missing key players, not to mention, you know, the guy you cover in Denver, he's pretty good. Uh, and without him there, it, it certainly opens things up for a lot of other teams. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like we kind of do this exercise every time. And I think 1992 and 2004, 2008 have all kind of spoiled us to a huge degree. Well, 2008, anyway, 92, 2008. It's like they have to be these star-studded teams. And if they're not, we're seeing this with the U.S. women's national soccer team, right? Like they, they fell short in the World Cup, and now all of a sudden everybody wants to trash them. And I know there's a lot of anti-feminism in that and, you know, just real misogyny interwoven into those kind of conversations. But I think it has something to do as well with the way that we view I think the men's national teams. It's like, for one, we don't really care about national team sports here in the United States for whatever reason. We don't care until maybe the Olympics turns on and then we kind of – you know, have pretend to have a little interest in it here and there. The World Cup, what the hell is that? We really don't care. Just give us the Olympics. Just give us our gold and let us let us worry about that. So I think that's certainly a part of it. Uh, and then we just kind of tend to, again, if they're not the superstar-laden teams, it's like, well, these guys, they're going to be okay. They're not, they're not great. Why should I really care about them, the event, their chances of success or otherwise? Like we did this with the men's Olympic team last year. It wasn't the most star-studded team, and I think they were still pretty good. They won gold, right? <laughs> I can't remember. They did win gold. Yes, they did. I'm at a bio gold medalist for Miami. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, so they I struggled. think they struggled, right? They struggled early on struggle. and everybody was, everybody wanted to bury them right away. Uh, and I think we're kind of doing that. Look, this team can win gold, right? Like you, they're favorites. They might not be overwhelming dominant favorites, but they're favorites to win gold, aren't they? Uh, they are. They are favorites to win gold. Uh, they are at, they are at FanDuel. Uh, they are minus 115, which is pretty close to even here, which shows you kind of the difference. Uh, but what's interesting is we look at some of these other teams, right? So Team Canada is plus 460. Jamal Murray is not going to play in their friendlies right. before starting competition. They're hoping he can ramp up and make it there. Uh, Corey Joseph has already had to leave the team based off of uh, an injury. So he is out as he prepares for the re for the, the, the season. Uh, Olshay Brissett. Boston Celtic 
who actually is pretty good. That's another NBA player not going to be available for Team Canada. So they're starting to miss guys already uh, from a team that that looked like it had a really good chance to be maybe step up and and have its finally this because they've been talked about for so long. And then you go to ten to one, and you got Australia, who I think will have a, a bunch of really good players. France is is probably the underrated one here at twelve hundred. Like they're still going to have like Rudy Gobert, and they're still going to have enough guys that are going to be able to compete and probably can be, and and probably be a problem. Serbia, you mentioned Nikola Jokic not going to play. Uh, Greece. Giannis Antetokounmpo, not playing. Uh, Slovenia, uh, Vlako Chanchar, suffered an ACL. He's out. That's an NBA player. He may sound like Vlako Chanchar. The, the margins are thin here. Like, your your margin for error is small when you play a team with as many NBA players as Team USA. So there are kind of all these teams that are probably going to have more issues. Germany is a really interesting one, where I thought Germany was great last year. Like, they looked really good. It was one reason I'm so high on Franz Wagner. Uh, and they've got internal strife because Dennis Schroeder made comments about Maxi Kleba not playing through injury. So Kleba <laughs> sent a letter and said he's withdrawing from Team Germany. Basically, screw that guy. I'm not welcome. I'm out. Like Dennis Schroeder cost him Maxi Kleba. And I'm just like, the NBA drama continues in FIBA World Cup. Well, how is, how is Dennis Schroeder somehow ruining the chances for Team Germany as well? Um, you have all these, these kind of things. A bunch of players got cleared for... Uh, uh, Dominican Republic. So there's all these types of, of guys coming in, but the competition is not what it used to be. You don't have Argentino that used to be such a, a great team with Manginobili, Fabrizio Alberto, uh, Luis Scola, those type of guys. You don't have Francis as, as dominant as it was when you had Tony Parker. So yeah, you, you have this kind of opportunity um, to kind of to, to step up and, and fill the gap. So maybe Team USA may not be as dominant, and you know, I, one thing I am kind of sad about, though, I'll say, is that typically what Team USA is, is it's an opportunity for the young guys to see how the greatest players work, and they all come away changed by that experience. And it's kind of a bummer that there's none of the veterans around to be that that kind of example for them. That there's not like like one dude that, that is like, yeah, sure, I'll play, um, to give those guys that same experience. It's a bummer that they're uh, these these guys are having to be their own leaders. That's tough when you're as inexperienced as they are, but it should be a fun team to watch nonetheless. I, I, I like that point. I, I agree. Like to, to watch a KD or Carmelo and how they go about their work, like that's that's the standard that they hold themselves to as NBA players. And there isn't that one superstar at that level. Um, so I, you know, I, this could catalyze a team in a very positive way and which is, it'll be up to them to decide whether or not they want to be, you know, whether they want to coalesce and be the kind of group that they can be. And, and look, I, I mean, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting summer for them. That's no, without a doubt. Uh, oh, by the way, including it, because Razorback rocked through and the new generations of fans these days are a lot harsher than they used to be, I think. I don't know if that's probably revert in regards to our earlier conversation, but uh, Bobby Portis, also Team USA. Very excited for Bobby Portis. That's a head shaker. Uh, uh, all right, that's going to wrap it up for Locked On NBA. Thanks for joining us on a Tuesday. Have yourselves a great week. Make sure to tune in tomorrow for Jake Madison and John Corrales. We'll be back next week as we'll recap the Hall of Fame, which David's going to be in attendance for. We'll talk about the end, the legacies of all those great players going to the hall this weekend. Enjoy your week. We'll see you guys again next time on Locked On NBA.